Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Amen. Give it up for Melissa, you guys. This is a, our latest addition to the staff team. She's doing one heck of a job there with the next generation. Like she said, we're in this series. You can open your, your Bible app or your, or your print Bibles to Colossians 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. But we're in this series, Family Here. Family Here. You know, we celebrated this one massive, uh, even cultural holiday uh, about a month or so ago in terms of Easter, and we figured what better way to have a next step after Easter than to say, why do we organize ourselves around this thing called church, and why do we gather? Yes, Jesus rose, and he came and died for you, and then he rose, and we have new life. So what? (laughs) What's some of the next steps? In this series, Family Here, has been trying to outline what are some of those things that happen when you're called to a local church and you go all in with that spiritual family. And in this series we started, we talked about believe, because that's probably just a critical first step to the life of faith, is that you say yes to Jesus and you have a new heart. It's actually a miracle. You know, a miracle is that your heart is transformed and becomes new, and then your personality follows, and all these other things follow that are being renewed even daily as a new believer. You believe, and you belong, just like a biological family that you're birthed into. You, those are your people. You share DNA, and even despite that, you still belong to each other. It's the same in a spiritual family. You belong. And then, of course, we talked about becoming on Mother's Day and the following weekend, that once you say yes to Jesus, that is a miraculous thing, a huge deal, and yet you begin the work the rest of your life in terms of becoming. You're formed. You take on uh, some of the characteristics and disciplines and life of a believer. That's the becoming of a believer. And today we're talking about uh, bearing, to bear. And I'm not talking about grizzlies or black bears and beets and Battlestar Galactic. I'm talking about to carry or support. That's what we mean by bearing. From bearing in brokenness to boldness. You guys, the beautiful and wonderful thing about being a part of a church family is that you don't have to have it all together. The church is not uh, a place for perfect people. Uh, It's for sick people. Sick people can come and get patched up and get fixed up and and be welcomed in and be invited in and be loved on in all of their brokenness just as they came. That's how Jesus came. That's what Paul said. He said that that while you were still stuck in your sin, I I came for you right then and there. And so the church seeks to continue that in brokenness, but also in boldness as we grow and we take on more of this kind of becoming, this formation of the Christian walk. We have this boldness that takes over. Sometimes, And we're hoping to foster that at Watermark. Where does it come from? It comes from Colossians. Paul, speaking to a new church family, a new spiritual family, said, bear with one another. Bear with each other and forgive them. Forgive one another. I love another version of that translation of the Bible. It says that you should make allowances for each other. To make allowances for each other. We get to do that as a spiritual family. We get to overcome other people's faults and brokenness. So, um, I don't know. Did, did you know uh, that pastors are not perfect? Did you, did you guys know that? 
Did everyone, was everyone totally crystal clear on that? Could you, could you even imagine that for a second? There, I, and I'm not perfect because I'm one of those people. I'm not perfect by any means. If you're looking for a church where, where the leadership of the church is perfect, you, you may keep searching. God might have something else for you. It might be a tough battle. You may never find it, but it's not here. And I'm telling you, I have brokenness. I have shortcomings. I want to tell you about one specific way this has been shown to me in the last week or two. There's a couple of volunteers. You know, there's a couple of volunteers that we have here at Watermark who bear. My goodness, are they in the work of caring and supporting. They show the value of family. These two volunteers in particular that I'm thinking of uh, that I've had the privilege to give leadership to in the last year or so, man, uh, I have really dropped the ball with them. Poor communication, not giving them a heads up, a lack of direction, encouragement, even support. When they had needs and they had feedback, I wasn't there I dropped the ball in a pretty profound way. I even micromanaged. Anyone have leaders in their life that are micromanaging them? It's your favorite kind of person, huh? Yeah. Stop shaking your head. One of my coworkers is shaking their head right now. I'm not, this is not about you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm broken. I'm just trying to tell you. I'm, I'm broken, man. I'm, I'm going to mess up. That happens still to this day here at church. And maybe it happens for you. And I'm telling you, these, these two volunteers, these things hurt. And it affected them profoundly. And you want to know what these two, these two gals, they just happen to be gals, you know what they do at, at the church, some of the stuff they do? They stay after and they pick up trash. They make sure that this is a place flowing with coffee and honey. This is a place flowing with coffee and honey. There's always coffee pumping out over here in the lobby. You know what the other thing they do is? They make sure that at the front door experience and that every other door, that someone who's new, and by the way, they might have had a really bad family experience. So the words at the front door when they come in that says family here, man, maybe someone's already like, my biological family was not great. Ben, Melissa, Bucky, it was not awesome. It's like almost already a strike for them. But then they turn around and they get to meet one or two of these individuals or, or by extension, their team, and they get welcomed in. You guys, uh, this is part of belonging. This is part of family here. This is a part of bearing. But if a person can't be welcomed in within those first few moments of the church, that, do you think they're going to make it to music? Do you think they're going to make it to the message? This is some of the most critical work in the whole church. This is the work that these ladies, their names are Barbara and Shanika, by the way, they have bared. They have carried and supported me. They have carried and supported my inadequacies. They have carried and supported you and any other newcomer who comes through these doors. They're serving all of us. Why would they do that, by the way? Why would they do that? Well, because the gospel has transformed their lives. And they serve because Christ served them first. That's why they do it. This is, I don't bring this up to, to give a, a guilt trip or, or shame. It's a beautiful ministry that they do, and they love it. And they've signed on for it because they know they're serving Jesus in their work. It's tremendous and beautiful to see. But you see, as a spiritual family, here are the things that we do, you guys. The Bible has given us a bar, a standard for how to deal with each other, how to live with one another. We forgive liberally. We serve wholeheartedly. We love and serve and pray and worship and gather and party. And the whole thing is this one great boisterous love fest. It's a beautiful family picture. It can be. It can be. If you can hang in there for long enough and get past the brokenness, you can see that it leads to boldness and all this other beauty. The only problem is um, church history. If you look back over the last 2,000 years of the church, it would, it would say otherwise, wouldn't it? We have kind of a couple... Um, bad, dark spots there because we have splits. 
and we have debates, and we have fights, and we have these political disagreements over how we worship and how we organize ourselves. That's what church history looks like. If you look back at the last 2,000 years, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's not me, Ben. I, I wasn't there, you know, for the great schism. I can't be held accountable for what happened at the churn of the millennia. You know, i.e. Catholics went this way and Protestants went this way. I, I can't be held accountable for that. And you're right. Okay, well, how about uh, when someone from the church hurt my feelings? Like from someone over here in this row with someone over here in this section. Or, or someone that I sit next to was just kind of annoying. It's a little bit annoying or a little bit awkward. Or maybe, we, you know, we just didn't like the message today or, or the music or the lights or, or the kids program is just not there yet. Like none of, none of us would ever, right? We would, never, we would never consider leaving a church over that, right? Would we? No, I'm not, don't raise your hand. This is not a census yet. I may have census at some point, but it's not at this point. I want to I digress for one quick second, one quick second. And just on a Sunday morning, you're going to get mostly preaching, okay? But every now and then I like to do a little educating, do a little educational kind of seminar, if you will. So for two minutes, just entertain this for a second. If I'm called to a church, what happens if I I may be called to leave a church? I want to give a really quick heads up, and you're going to see this from the text in a minute. But if you're called to a church because of the mission, and there hasn't been some kind of moral failing or one of these issues on this list, then maybe you should sit tight and buckle in. Okay, here's what I want to say. I want to give you an allowance too, some clarity around this. Because if you've been married or you've relocated, yeah, you, that's, that's a very natural reason to find yourself at a new congregation, at a new church, at a new body of believers. And that's a good one. But here's some deeper kind of high-level ones to look at as you're, as you're exploring Watermark or you're exploring somewhere else that you may be called to. Here's three high-level things I'm going to go through really quickly. The first one, one is what we call mission drift. Mission drift. You go to a place, and at the very bare minimum, they're not in the business of equipping and training people to go out and take care of other people. If you sense after a time that that's not even remotely happening here, that might be a legit reason to leave a church or to be called elsewhere. What about uh, doctrinal drift? The, the truth of the gospel, the biblical truth of that place is in error. Not, I just didn't like the way the worship guy said something about the song, or I don't really like the position on communion. No, like, Jesus was not a human being who died for your sins, okay? You hear that from the pulpit. You hear that from any place up here. Maybe that's erroneous teaching. It's an error. It's just straight up wrong. That's probably a good reason to head out from a church. Thirdly, unhealthy leadership. If my brokenness goes too far and I've just completely lapsed, my family's falling apart, Bucky and I are, are, are having a conflict that's unresolved. We're not being transparent or truthful. We're not being humble in our service the way that Melissa or myself are advocating for service. We, we fail to do that. If, if you've had a leadership breakdown in any one of these areas, as a family, this is a great litmus test for calling or leaving. And here's what I want to say. If you're feeling called away, come and talk to us. If you were thinking about leaving your biological family, would you give mom and dad a heads up? You would. Now, why do I say that? Because I want you to be sent in love and compassion and blessing. And that's what you will find if, for example, in the rare case that you found yourself called away from Watermark, and you sit down with Bucky or me, we're going to bless you and love on you and say, we're going to pray over you. And say, oh man, I hope that this is just perfect for you and that this is the right family that you're going into and that you're going to be served and that you're going to serve well. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing for you. And by the way, if we respond in guilt or shame or manipulation, we're in sin. That's our baggage. That's our problem. You've done what you were supposed to do. Now give us the opportunity to do what we were called to do. 
So this is an important heads up. Let's get into Colossians 3, okay? Let's look at this idea of bearing. Where does it come from? Verse 9 on the screen. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new flesh, the new self, excuse me, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I want to I give a quick qualifier before I get into the real meat of this passage. New self, old self, new self. New personality, new being. Bucky covered this three, four weeks ago when he said that you're born again. When you're born again, the Bible uses that language. It means into your spiritual family. You're given a new identity. You're actually given a new nature, Paul says. And from the moment you say yes to Jesus, you're declared righteous. You have right standing with God then and there in that moment. And yet, you know, the part of becoming in Christianity is a, is a daily, weekly, monthly renewal. I want to ask you if you've been doing this thing for a while, this, this Christianity church thing for a while, does anybody feel that way about their faith still? That they're still facing weeks and months and seasons of renewal? Because you should. Because this, this is what I want to say, because grace, because the grace of Christ and the knowledge of Christ should never become old and stale for us. It cannot become this thing that's just rote and we heard it and we're good and we're done and we're in cruise control. There's no such thing as cruise control in the Christian life when it comes to refreshed grace and knowledge and growing in that. Christianity is a, is a, is a, is a thing. The forming, the forming of Christianity is a constant renewal. That's what I think Paul is talking about here. The old self, the new self. Now, what are the barriers What are some of the barriers to bearing with one another, to carry and support one another? He talks about it really clearly right here. Radical. This is so radical. Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, all these things that we have no reference point today for in uh, 2019. The labels that Paul is using here for these profiles of the economic echelons of society at that time. Here's how I just want to give it to you. This is what he says. He says, basically, you have everything from a Greek or Gentile, which is the philosophical elites of the time. You have uh, Jews. The Jew and Gentile divide would have been enough. That would have been crazy to have them together in one room like this room or the synagogue, which was the old word for the church. Would have been nuts to have those two people reconciled and hanging out together, doing life together. But then he throws in all these other people. Here's how I'm going to categorize them for our terms today. The Scythian, the barbarian slave. It's like dirt, trash, and then the thing that owns dirt and trash. Or that is owned by dirt and trash. That's what he's talking about. Yeah, I know it's human beings and that sounds really crude. Perfect. Because that's what it was in the first century. That's how those human beings were regarded in the first century. And in the first time of all history, truly, this is factual. You can go and look it up. In the first time of all history, those varying, widely diverging groups of people were together in one space. That's crazy. If you've been to church before, even a couple times, you've heard that message, Jew and Gentile, reconciliation. No. (laughs) You need to hear it anew this morning. They were gathered together, doing life on life, talking to one another. One scholar even says that it was because of Christianity that brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, or even people, became convicted to learn other people's languages. That that was a historical moment that no one even really cared. Why would you do that? Until this group of ragtag, crazy Christian people came together and said, I want to be close to this person and be in their life. In order to do that, I must learn their language. That's crazy. That's bearing with one another. That's becoming a true family. 
And yet again, we don't, since we don't really have, at least here in the West, language for slavery or, or barbarian, Jew, Gentile, what are our barriers today? You know where they are. You know where I'm going. They're political. They're economic. They're sexual. These are vast barriers, you guys, that sometimes come up. Do we have anything that helps us transcend these debates? When we're in men's small group in the lobby or we're in our small group that meets at home or or in the lobby after service and you're meeting some new people, do we have something that can transcend those debates and those tough sticking points? Because the culture is ruthless in the rest of the world. In fact, the word I like right now for this message is merciless. It is a merciless gutting of one another. If we diverge in opinion, this is how the church family must look different, guys. We must be so filled with mercy that it's not a deal breaker when we disagree politically. That cannot be a deal breaker. Was that on my list earlier about reasons to leave a church? Because someone's a big rightist and the other person's a huge leftist? No. No, the world will know us by our mercy, the mercy that we extend to one another when debates get tough and sticky and broken. We must be known by our mercy. What's the thing that transcends it all? Actually, it's right there in the verse, Christ in all. We share a spiritual DNA. How? How can we do that, Ben? That's great to give mercy, but give me the how. Here's how. If perhaps for a second when you were talking to this person who's annoying, awkward, difficult, challenging, uh, not just a person, a person who's next to you this morning or with you in the lobby later, that person, that's what this series is about. You're next to that person. What if you just saw Jesus in them for a second? Again, you've heard that before probably, but what if you could really try and fight to get there for a second? What if it was Jesus that was that person, how would that affect your respect, your, your adoration, your honor for that person next to you? My goodness, you'd be at their feet. You'd have no other place to be but at their feet. It's one thing, you guys, when we think about going to meet Jesus one day. I don't know what your thought life is like, but I, I sometimes think about that. It's one, one thing to do that because that's then and there. But what if we started thinking that way here and now about the other brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters that we see across the aisle, across the row, in the lobby? That's the thing that's going to transcend the barriers, is seeing Christ in all, like Paul says. What else does bearing look like? Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another. Say, bear with one another. One more time. Say, bear with each other. Well done. And forgive one another. Say, forgive one another. Because you guys are doing so good. I want one more time. Say, forgive one another. Gets louder every time. That's a success. Great job. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive that word again. I can't escape it. Forgive as the Lord forgave who? Perfect, me. And over all these, the virtue put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We have a roadmap for living together. Paul's given us, through the gospel of Jesus, the truth, the good news of Jesus, a roadmap for how to deal with one another. Every single one of these things on the screen, you've heard uh, similar lists known as the fruit of the Spirit. These are actually known as the graces. These are the character graces. And you know what they are? Every single one of them, fundamentally in orientation, the relational graces. 
These are relational graces. When Paul was outlining this, he didn't mean, oh, be humble in isolation or, or go be gentle in a vacuum or, yeah, go be patient all alone on an island. N- no. No, 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 no. Every single one of these words. You see, I don't need patience to go for a walk, do I? <laughs> I don't need patience to go for a walk. I need patience when my one-year-old is like at my ankles or my knees and my two-year-old is screaming my ear off. That's why I need patience. I need relational graces for day-to-day life. And that's the first thing you need to know when you read this list. It's not just for my own little private walk with God. No, this, is, this orientation is around how to deal and live and bear with one another as we grow in relationship. And there's a couple I want to highlight that I thought were extra special. C- kindness. If you're like me, you just skipped over that. Be kind, rewind. That's in the Bible. No one remembers that? Oh my gosh. Come on. Cassette tapes, Blockbuster, bring it back. Bring back Blockbuster. Be kind, rewind. No, kindness is a radical word. The original word is Christos. Christos, it's like treating your neighbor as yourself. Do you know where that word is elsewhere used? When Jesus said, here, take my yoke, which was a farming tool, like a thing to keep oxen in line. Take my yoke and put it on you for it's easy and light and kind. The same word is used there. So that's how we bear with one another in kindness. That's a radical call that Jesus said, come and do that with me. Humility. Again, for the first time in history, for the first time in history, a word was reclaimed in such a radical way. These first century Christians, these people that began to call themselves little Christ, Christians, Christ followers, they used this word humility, and the Greeks laughed at them. That was the context where they lived in that time. They laughed, they cringed. That was a cringe word. It was completely and totally cringeworthy to say, I'm after humility. You would never want to do that. Which, by the way, that our, our world still works that way. Is that clear? That our world is still wired and oriented around the power and the status and the pride and the glory. And that's, guys, I'm sorry, that's not the Jesus following way. It may come, sure, I guess, as a byproduct, but that is not the aim. Okay, that's not the aim of this relational humility. And, and, and I love the quote. Everyone's heard that quote. It's not thinking of yourself less, but thinking of yourself less often. I don't know. I'm butchering it. Here's a better one. Smallness and scale to God. That's all. Smallness and scale to God. And that everyone else around me, along with myself, are royal image bearers. They have God's image stamped on them. They're part of royalty. That will reorient our minds around this relational principle of humility. That's what humility is meant there. Be patient and forgive in a merciless, merciless world. I talked about that already. And then the coup de grace, the big, big buzzword in this whole passage, and one of our biggest meanings of how to bear with one another, forgive. Forgive. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How big of a deal, how big of a deal is this forgiveness thing? Let's look at it for a second, shall we? Here's just a small selection of our 66 books of the Bible that talk about forgiveness. Ephesians 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 4, uh, this is Matthew 5. Therefore, if you are offering your gift to the altar, if you're on your way to church... (laughs) If you're on your way to church and you remember you have something against someone else or someone else has something against you, pause. Maybe skip service today and go and call up or text or meet face-to-face with that fellow believer, that Christian, who you have something against. 
Remember your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them. Then come. And yeah, you can still worship and go to church. Great. And Matthew 6, forgive us our debts, Lord. How should we pray, Jesus? This is how you should pray. Include this one in your daily alms. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Here's the thing about forgiveness, you guys, when it comes to bearing. Forgiveness is the Christian's right to bear. Write it down. If you're taking notes today, you can go and write that down. You see those stickers? I love the stickers. I got a couple of my friends right here in this church right now who got that Second Amendment right to bear sticker on the back of their car. And some of you even right now hearing that are like, uh, some are passionate, some are bummed out. I get it. That's, are we talking about this morning? Anyone? Are we talking about that this morning? Yes, we are. Okay. That we have differing opinions and different ways of viewing the world, but we're transcended by what? This is already a quiz, already a test. What transcends it all? Christ. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Third row. Way to go. Christ in all. That's the thing that transcends all the stuff. And, and I, have this, I had this great teacher when I was in high school, public school, this guy, Christian guy, Christian educator. I'll never forget. I had health and driver's ed with him. Awesome, amazing man of God. And he used to say that driving is not a right. Driving is not a right. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Just like those other things I just listed a second ago are really more of a privilege. Just like forgiveness is actually a privilege. Ben, what do you mean by a privilege? Well, it's our privilege to emulate Christ. To mimic Christ and the way that we forgive others. To be participating in the work that he did on the cross. That is a privilege. What a gift that we get to link arms with Jesus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. We get to link arms with him. When every time that we forgive someone. Every time that we forgive someone. Even in their imperfection and their brokenness. Even if they haven't totally recovered from their bad behavior. It's our privilege to, to emulate Christ and the power of forgiveness. I said before that when you come to faith in Jesus, it's a miracle. I think today, inside and outside the church, we use that word way liberally. All the, everything's a miracle. Oh man, the sun rose this morning. It's a miracle. Not technically, right? Because that's how God built it in. The sun's supposed to go around, goes up, it goes down. Even birth we, it is wondrous and insane and awe-inspiring. But that's kind of how God designed it in the natural world. It just the baby, you know, the mom's body, baby's body work together to give life. Fantastic, amazing, and extraordinary. But it's still not a miracle. Because a miracle, by definition, is supernatural. It breaks the natural laws right? And there's another thing that we often forget. We've talked about this maybe a year or so ago, but when someone comes to faith in Jesus, they have a, that new heart inside of them is miracle. That is miraculous. We call it regeneration is the technical word. You've got a new heart inside you. That's a miraculous moment in the life of a believer. Why do I talk about that? Can someone guess? We're talking about forgiveness. What is the driver for a new heart, but someone realizing that they've been forgiven once and for all, and they do not have to earn, and they do not have to do, and they do not have to accomplish, because the free gift of grace has been extended to them, and they can walk in eternity forever, and they can be a part of heaven, work here and now on earth. Is that a privilege? To participate in that work in the world, the power of salvation? And it's our benefit. It's our benefit to emulate Christ in this work. Because when we walk with Jesus, just at our own personal benefit of receiving forgiveness. I know there's a lot of you here today right now who need to hear that. There's someone here today who needs to forgive themselves. Your biggest judge is not the pastor on the stage. It's your inner judge. Or maybe needs to forgive 
the family or the friend inside yourself. The practice and the truth of forgiveness on this screen and what Paul's talking about in Colossians 3 is also a privilege for the own personal individual heart of a believer because of what it does just inside of you. And I want you to think about this right now because I'm going to begin winding down in a minute and we're going to offer prayer at the front And I just got to tell you something about prayer because we're still learning at Watermark what prayer is and does and how to be about it and how to believe God for the things that come out of our mouths. It's challenging. As a a lifetime career believer myself, only in this last year have I really felt like I'm starting to learn that God is listening, is listening, responding, cares to hear my voice, cares to hear my requests, and that he, in fact, responds to those things. And I want to see that. That's our prayer, Bucky, mine, the staff. That's our prayer for our people at Watermark, that we'd have a whole new heart and a new brain around prayer. And so when I invite you later to come up here and to receive prayer for forgiveness, for unforgiveness, for unforgiveness in your heart, for yourself or for others, I want to see you come up here expecting that God's going to do something radical and new in your heart today, this Sunday in the month of May. He's going to do something new and powerful in your heart. So, We're going to read scripture as we wind down. You guys can start to make your way up, band. Uh, This is something we normally wouldn't do. I'm going to read a whole chapter in the Bible right here from the stage, okay? It's going to be radical. We're going to be in Acts 4. We're going to be in Acts 4. It's going to be on the screen for you. You can open there now. But remember what we said about the book of Acts. Bucky said this three or four weeks ago. I thought it was awesome. This is a snapshot of the first spiritual family. What happened in the life of the believers was the first spiritual family. And so we have this book in the Bible after the Gospels. Got this great, what happens next? So what? Go to Acts. Find out what happens next. It's wonderful to live in the Gospels for a long, long time and then come back to it time and time again. But the very next book is the book of Acts. How did the church get from there all the way to here today? you got to read Acts. Get a snapshot of the first spiritual family, the first church family. Go to Acts. And I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 4, the beauty and the wonder of what happens when we bear with one another. Part of the fruit of bearing with one another is boldness. Is boldness. Great courage and strength and boldness from bearing with one another. Look at this. Acts 4 verse 1. This is what it says. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles the leaders of the first church, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 that day. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, the capital city of the first church. Annas, the, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this stuff? And by the way, one more quick qualifier. Where do we find ourselves? In the previous chapter, a man has just been healed. A crippled man in his 40s, you're going to hear about him in a second, has just been healed. And they're also preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what they saw and did. Alongside Jesus in some cases. And, and this, this, this religious uh, legal team, if you will, This very intimidating, daunting team of Jewish leaders is now before them in this council setting. That's what it says here in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to take account today for an act of kindness, 
bearing with one another, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's in the room with them. You've got to picture the room. If you can't come with me to the room right now, you guys, this morning, the whole thing will be missed. The whole thing will be a loss. So if you have to close your eyes and just listen, get there in this room with me today. And it's so intense. Verse 11. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Are you kidding me, Peter? Peter's sitting there in the same courtroom that Jesus was, I don't know how long before, but not long before this moment, before some of the same exact men, and he's quoting Jesus to the men. The same scene that ended in Jesus' crucifixion. Peter's speaking like that to them. He's quoting Jesus. Jesus just used these words regarding himself. And now Peter just says, that sounded good. I'm going to reuse that. The stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed in the room, their own indictment right there in the room, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, this, again, this temple uh, legal proceeding area, and they conferred together. <laughs> you better have a huddle. Go ahead and have a huddle because it's not looking good. The tables have churned in a very short time. This is what happens, you guys, when we bear with one another and the rest of the world sees how much mercy we give one another, how quickly the tables can churn out there in the world, in culture, in society. As you are showing mercy to one another, it went from the outcome was Jesus being crucified to, man, they're in trouble now. What are we going to do with these men? Verse 16, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed this notable sign. And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer, <laughs> to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, look at guys, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. Do your job. Go and do your job, Peter says. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Who's bearing with who in this picture? In this whole courtroom scene, who's bearing with who? See, it's so beautiful. At first look at this passage, you think, oh man, well at least Peter had John and John had Peter and they're linking arms and they're bearing with one another because this is a tough and scary moment for them. Remember, they're sitting there. It's not lost on them. They're like deja vu. This whole thing was just happening with Jesus. And we, you and I know, John, what the outcome of that was. Is it Peter and John? Probably. But you know who else is in the room right there with them, bearing with them, linking arms with them, bearing with them, and they're bearing arms in turn with this person? Jesus. They're bearing with Jesus in this picture. On first read, I thought, oh, I'm just thinking humanly speaking. There's two men there. They're bearing with one another, but they're bearing with Jesus in this picture. They're bearing with Jesus in this picture. 
when you go out into the world and you face similar challenges and similar questioning and, and similar raking over the coals of what you believe and what you say. And your Bible is so esoteric, it's so outdated, so irrelevant, it's so offensive, and you're on trial. Who are you going to bear with? And who's going to be there bearing with you? That's right. That's right. The God of the ages. The one who rose from the dead is going to be there bearing with you. Look what happens next. This is crazy. This is so critical. This is what happens next. Upon their release, verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord, the one who's in control, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed... They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats. This is the prayer of someone who almost lost their life. This is the prayer of someone in persecution, real, serious, lose your life persecution. This is their prayer. This is all in quotes. Peter prayed this. Peter and John prayed this. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with greater boldness. What? The request wasn't, Lord, speedily remove us from this city and take us to a new location. And God, please raise the hand of persecution and pain and suffering and death from us. And God, please don't let us have another run-in with the religious authorities so that our life might be put on the line. What did he say? He said, God, give us boldness and give us power to work amazing wonders in your name and to be a part of your miraculous work in the world. That's what it says, verse 30. Stretch out your hand and do signs and wonders. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God in a mighty, bold, profound, bold way. The pathway of family formation in a church, you guys, may be rocky and imperfect and broken, and it just might suck sometimes, honestly. Quite frankly, it will. We're still human beings. We're still broken. And yet the pathway of brokenness and bearing with one another, picking each other up, carrying one another, showing them that yoke of kindness, linking arms with them can lead to wonderful, bold things. God gave us one another. And this is the call of this generation in this time right now, you guys, is to find a church, be called to a church, and go all in. You will not reap this boldness and this beauty and this wonder if you're half in. If you're one foot in and we see you once a month, it's not about a head count. I'm telling you right now, it's not about a head count. I don't even care about Sunday morning. You can come to a church and serve one day. We can come with your small group one day a month. You can serve one day a month. You can come to church one day a month. These repetitions are not about headcount. They're about learning to bear with one another and experiencing the power and boldness that God has through you by saying yes to spiritual family. That's what happens. And that's what's waiting for some of us in the room. If you feel stuck and you feel hung up and you don't know what step to take, go all in. I have more for us this morning, but I, I just can't even go there right now. All I want you to hear and I want you to know is that these guys are going to sing two songs and you have an opportunity right now to come forward. There's tables here at the front, right and left, in the back corners, right and left, to take communion. Stop carrying that weight and that burden of unforgiveness for yourself or for others. And if you're feeling the, the, the call to jump in all the way, no more half-in business, then, then make that vow before God with him. Do that in private during communion. 
And then if you need prayer on any of the above, there's going to be a time afterwards to do just that. As you go to communion, there's people there who circle up. They're maybe biological family members. Maybe they're spiritual family members. Not related by DNA, but they're related by spiritual DNA. And they would love to join with you in communion. If you're newer to Watermark, it's just something, it's a tradition that just organically started happening. People would link arms and they take communion together. That's what we're going to do right now. So Jesus, I just thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for bearing with me. Oh God, your mercies are new every morning. I thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your mercies. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for bearing, bearing with me. Thank you for these volunteers. Thank you for this band. Thank you for the people here who bear, have tolerated me in the last 40 minutes. It's a beautiful thing that happens when we bear with one another, Jesus. You have so much, so much you want us to see, so much you want us to experience from bearing with one another. And yet you're not looking for puppets, Lord. You don't just want to control us. You want participants. You want relational, willing participants. And that's why our yes matters today, Jesus. I pray for every person in here who maybe that describes. They've offered a wishy-washy yes, but now they're ready to step up completely and totally and give a firm yes, all in for what you have and bearing with one another and producing and be a part of bold things. Maybe there's a person here who still has unforgiveness, Jesus. Release them right now. And only the way you can. There's no other fix for that, God. There's no other medication for that, Lord. There's no other answer. You're the answer for the unforgiveness in our hearts. So do that work right now in communion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.